a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires and Alpine Stars Protects on RacerXOnline.com. your continued support of our sponsors we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads click that amazon banner on pole mx to help us out and donate via patreon if it suits you and as always enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us Original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Hey everybody, welcome to the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast, presented by Maxis and Alpine Stars. I'm Steve Mathis. Uh, here we are in the beautiful Residence Inn in Boise, Idaho, for the 2019 Fly Racing Gear Launch. It's fantastic. I can't post any photos tonight hey, whoa, whoa. or tomorrow. There's uh, not a Z in Boise. Oh, Boise? Yeah. Boise. No yeah. Okay, all right. When Damon Bradshaw says there's no Z, there's no I Z. I love it. Steve just got corrected. That's okay. <laughs> you know what? That's fine, because no one wants to hear me talk anyways. Uh, so what I thought I would do is we got Zach Osborne here. 250 national champion, two-time 250 supercross champion, Damon Bradshaw, 125 supercross champion, plus a legend. And really, uh, Zacho, you and I were hashing this out over text. Uh, you're a little bit after Damon, but you've watched all the videos, and, and you know you're a fan of the sport, just like I am, or any Max or Keith or any of, of us here. And I just thought it would be cool to have you two guys who have raced at the highest levels, won titles, been factory riders, and everything, kind of have a conversation. And, and I think our listeners would like it. So without further ado. Zacho. Uh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, the other day when you asked me about this, obviously uh, you said, you know, do you know anything about Damon Bradshaw? And I was like, he, you said he's a little bit before your time, but I said actually the second coming of Damon Bradshaw was uh, just right at the beginning of my motocross career. Um, I got Damon's autograph at the 97 Charlotte Supercross. First outdoor national I ever went to was High Point in 97. And, you know, he crushed it. So, um, And also he's from the same area that I'm from. So uh, growing up, him and Brownie were like the benchmark of you know where you needed to be if you were gonna put yourself on the on the motocross map from uh, the southeast. So it's cool to be able to do this and um, yeah, hopefully ask some some unique questions and uh, sure. yeah. from a different perspective. All right, shoot. Um, yeah, so after Steve and I talked about this the other day, I've listened to the podcast he did with you um, two or three times now, and you know. Obviously, you were a child prodigy um, with Yamaha. Kind of had the same sort of thing with KTM, but you found success quick and um, and then kind of burned out at the end. And obviously, I'm 100% the opposite. Um, no success in the beginning and kind of getting going at the end. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of ask if you thought that. Um, the the pressures of being a child star, if you will, kind of took away from the fun of the the actual job when when it came time to you know buckle down. Like I, I feel like looking back on my career, I didn't enjoy racing and and the things that came with it when I was sort of 12, 13, 14, 15 years old when I really should have been. And now I've kind of refound the love for the sport. Did you have any anything of that sort? Uh, first of all, thank you um, for having me a part of this and. Uh, 
That's that's pretty cool. Obviously, I didn't know that in '97, but I've, I've also followed you as well. Obviously, being from the you know the same part of the country and knowing kind of where you were in your earlier career and then where you are now is is awesome. You know, to be able to to I, and I've talked about it a lot. People always you know would ask me you know who you like to watch or who do you watch, and you're definitely one of the the, the writers. And simply because kind of getting off a little bit, but how you can deal with adversity, whether it's a bad moto or a bad start or whatever, and you just keep, and then things keep happening. I mean, I know you're you're injured now, but those things those things happen, and, and I know you're mentally strong enough to dig through that and, and keep going, but um, you know, back to your question, I think, you know, any any kid, for, for that matter, at, at the age where, you know, we kind of initially started and kind of where you are in your career, and I've said it before, I think at 16, 17, 18, even 19, dealing with those type of pressures and the expectations of, for me, it was myself. My sponsors didn't put any pressure on me at all. I mean, they they were there and supported, but I put a ton of pressure on myself, too much pressure. And so that's probably one of the things that pushed me out as early as it did. But I think as you get older, you're able to deal with that better. You're able to deal with pressure better. You're stronger mentally, stronger physically. And it's like now some of the younger kids, I've said it several times, somebody of of your age and some of the other riders, there's no way that a 16-year-old or 17-year-old kid can be as strong as you can at 24, 25 years old. And I don't know if it's so much mentally, physically, because I know. I mean, I, I was there, and then I went away, and then I started riding again, and I'm like, I work less now, but I'm much stronger physically and mentally now, you know, now at, at an older age. Not now, but I mean when I was 25, 26. So I, I think, you know, thinking about kids starting so young and, and having all of that in the beginning, it's just, it's too much. You know, it's like, can you have fun? And, you know, we've seen a, a few late blooming riders. I mean, you look at, look at Jeff Emick. I mean, he was very strong there, you know, towards the end. So I think there's so many different ways to handle it. And I know people start their kids and, you know, and then it's the major job in the very beginning. So I, I think getting some age on guys and giving them some time to be more mentally stable, physically stable, and, and you know, the injury thing. I mean, it's like if you, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but if you see a kid that's prone to injuries at a young age, they seem to they seem to follow him. You know, if it's 13, 14, 15, they seem to follow him all the way through. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's such a tough mix. You know, I, I've talked to my team manager, Bobby, about this. He has some, some younger guys on the team and um, I always say like 16, 17, and 18 like as a professional motocrosser is when you need to be the most moldable and you're the least moldable as a person. So it's like a real, a really hard clash uh, for personality and then your profession, if you will, at, at that time. I think that it's just something that kids have a really hard time getting through that little valley, you know? And I, I had great people. I mean, I, the guys at Yamaha was like a family. I mean, they were... You know, Keith McCarty was almost like a second dad. I mean, I lived with him in California, and, you know, Bob Hanna was available. So I had all these people that were available, but and, and they really helped. And I always felt like I could learn from anybody, regardless of if they were in our industry, if they were in another industry, or if they were just somebody walking down the road. I always tried to have an open mind, whether it was something to do with the motorcycle or something to do with mentally or just, you know, preparing for a race or whatever. And, um, I, 
just think that that age thing really has a lot a lot to do with it. I mean, obviously, you know, you can miss the window, um, but I think that's very critical. And it's I've tried to get it across some of the events that I've been able to do. Uh, one was with Justin Brayton earlier this year, and um, we were talking a lot about younger kids and how they're coming up, and just very similar to what we're talking about. And it's uh, it's hard because you know I experienced it, and I know you did, and I think you know Justin probably did a little bit, but not to the extent that we did. I mean, my dad put pressure on me, but it <clears throat> but it was the right amount of pressure. It wasn't to the point that I was like, you know, I've had enough of this. Because I, I I mean, even at 13, 14 years old, I saw parents. I don't want this to be all about that, but I saw a lot of parents ruin kids that once they had a choice, they're like, I'm out. And they had talent, you know, so. Yeah, I I, uh, I also feel like it depends a lot on your personality and just kind of how you perceive things or how you uh, understand your situation or whatever, which, you know, it's it's uh, every every case is completely different, so it's it's quite unique, but I just kind of wanted to ask you that and, and get your opinion. Um, something else I wanted to ask you was like your legacy you know there's guys out there with more championships and stuff but like looking back through the through the 80s 90s era there's not many people who don't know the na- name Damon Bradshaw and you know who would say that you weren't one of if not their favorite rider like how do you feel or what do you feel was the the big key in you know making your legacy or you know I don't know really an answer to that other than that I always tried to be myself um, I tried to remember where I came from and I always told friends I was like you know if you guys see me changing as a person and where I came from I, I want you to be the first to tell me because I still want to be that same person and I felt that I was loyal to loyal to uh, sponsors um, through my career I mean there were several numerous times that I could have left companies that I was with and went somewhere else for more money and I chose not to do that because I felt like I had a family there and I, I feel like some of that has changed nowadays it's become more corporate and, and I understand all of that but um, I don't know and I, I wanted to spend uh, as much time as I could with the fans because I feel like that obviously if it wasn't for them you know if they weren't out there buying motorcycles and buying product we wouldn't have been able to be racing so I tried to get back give back to them uh, when you know even some of those days when they were bad days I still tried to hang out in that truck and, and be there to the end and and I've even had the conversation with uh, fans when I was driving a monster truck. They would come to the event. They would refer to a certain rider. They'd been to an event, and they would refer to him as, you know, whatever. And, and, and I would actually get up sometimes from the table and try to go explain to them, have them understand what a rider goes through leading up to that day of a race and preparation and try to get them to understand that they're, they're not there like we are here for hours signing autographs. I said, some of them won't, but there are a lot of them that would want to spend more time with you guys, but they just don't have that much time, and so I, I feel like that, you know, and, and again, in my time, things were different. I don't think there was... I don't know if the word's not as much required of you as maybe there is now. I mean, the semi thing has changed a lot of things and, you know, autographs. And now it's like you have to do autographs. When I was riding, we didn't have to do it. And so I felt like it was easier for me to gain fans by doing that because a lot of guys wouldn't do it because they weren't made to do it. And I don't, it, it, 
it's kind of a bummer that you have to be, guys have to be made to it, but they have to block out the time for it. So I, I don't, I mean, I just felt like being myself and trying to spend that time and give back to your fans. And now being able to do what I'm doing with WPS and fly racing is really cool because I never really did this retirement tour, not that I wanted to, but now it's like I can go back around and be at an event and visit shops and visit with reps and talk about all of those things like we're talking about that I never had the chance to do. Like you said, there's a lot of guys who don't quite enjoy it. I, I do enjoy it, and I, and I always try to kind of put my kid in, in that kid's situation or, you know, how how I would want my kid to be treated if they were standing in the autograph line and, you know, I get up five minutes early or whatever. But definitely the corporate side of things has kind of changed. Even in the 12, 12 or 13 seasons that I've been racing, like it's, it's made a big change to, you know, requirements instead of just, hey, guys, you can, you know, go out there and sign some posters if you want to wear this. Now it's like there's this 30 minutes and you need to be out there at this time and in at this time. And, and so, the fans don't understand that. I no, think they, they think don't. it's all your guys' choice, you know, and some do, but not enough, you know, and I think this is really good and hopefully fans kind of grasp and understand where you're coming from because, you know, like I said, when I, in my, my heyday, we didn't have video and this and that and trainers and nutrition guys, all these people that you got to talk to and, you know, two or three mechanics and it, it wasn't like that, you know, you had a team manager and you had a mechanic and you could kind of do what you wanted to and, and kind of one of the things that was cool was, you know, my sponsors then would come with come to me with ideas and say, hey, what do you think about doing this? And they were always not only trying to put me in front of the people more, but obviously it would help them, you know, sell more products. So they would come up with ideas and I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. Um, one thing that I, I do remember and I, I, I was like I would never say no to anything. So a promoter, you know, my thing was I always wanted to bring friends to the races, not, not so much with me, but come to the event. So I'd want to get them passes. So it was always like this trade-off. They would always want me to go do this or that or this or that. I'd never say no. Yeah, radio, TV, yeah, I'm, I'm going. So that was kind of like my trade-off. But, you know, mechanic told me one time, he goes, you know, there's only, the pie can only be so big and you cut so many slices out of it and then there's none left for you. I, I feel like I probably did that more times than not to where there was no slice of yourself yeah. yeah yeah so but you know I, I wouldn't go back and do anything any different you know of, of when I started riding and you know I just you know like you said every person in every situation is different but I think um, hopefully some people can learn from our conversation our conversation for sure what do you what do you think of the the state of the sport um, from a rider's perspective from you know from a business perspective where it is today, you know, compared to where you were and, you know, what you would like to see moving forward. You know, I feel like, and, and again, I, I kind of was out of the loop for, God, I don't know, really almost 10 years, if not even longer. I mean, I followed it and caught bits and pieces, but I was so busy doing on the same weekends of when you guys were doing, I couldn't really stay, but I was always asking questions. Obviously, I worked for Feld, and, and I was asking questions from them, but I really think it's better. 
better now than than it was. I mean, I know motorcycle sales are tough because of you know riding areas and all of the other things, and that's the thing I tell guys all the time. I said it's it's there. You just have to be creative. Meaning when I visit with dealers and do stuff like that. So to me, it's been a lot more interesting the last two years because I've really followed it more the last two years, the racing and the competition and and um, you know the rivalry a little bit that we really had back in the day that I think for whatever reason that's kind of I don't know how to say it I don't want to you know I mean obviously I, I used a lot of that I was nobody's friend and I had my teammates and the guys on my team and other than that I could care less and I know now it's a little bit different and, and that's fine again it's different for every rider but I used that for motivation I just couldn't and like now I have a ton of respect for you guys to be able to train in the same camp and then go to a race and, and battle for me that I can't say it wouldn't have worked because I didn't have that opportunity but it would have been really hard would have been just you and Dubok <laughs> that's right that's, it. Well, that's right and <laughs> it's not yeah. it's not always you know roses and butterflies rainbows and butterflies <laughs> however you want to put it but you know we all kind of have the understanding that in a sense we need each other to you know raise the level where yeah. we're with you know without each other we're kind of just racing ourselves and that's, and that's the way it was so much I mean I, I I look back and some of the guys had trainers and had nutritionists very few of them did very few I mean I probably three or four guys maybe and I was always a little and I probably would have been better if I would have went that route but I was more hard-headed because I wanted to train myself I wanted to do everything myself other than what my mechanic could offer so on the weekend I was like man that that was me and him and and sponsors which now again like you said those all of those levels have changed you you have to right I mean to and you know Stanton was one of the toughest and Johnny O'Mara and and, and Jeff Ward those guys were really good in those areas I would ask questions to some of the older guys but now like you said you have to have that help and so I, I have a lot of respect you know for that but going back to the racing aspect of it it seems like it's really this year a lot of that has changed I mean you see the, the younger guys and then you see you know and, and I don't mean older guys but you know more mature but uh, it's really cool I mean I, the races that I've been to this year was was exciting for me and it was like I'm there to talk to people and hang out but I'm so in tune to the racing because it's been really good right. so I, I, I think uh, I think it's headed in a good direction I, I want to continue to see outdoor nationals I hope that doesn't ever go away I mean I, I enjoy that and I feel like that's where it all started that's where a huge fan base is and I feel like that um, people can go and buy a motorcycle and, and buy gear and buy products and they can go ride that outdoor track. They can For go sure. to their local that's, water that's practice. the thing that you they know. can relate to the most. I think so. You know, so I think we still need that and I I, I, uh, I hope it hangs around. Sweet. I got a question. Let me jump in here yeah. and interrupt you. Um, so you took a year, you retired early. You guys actually had kind of the opposite career. So. <laughs> that's what I was saying. Yeah, so Zacho comes in as his amateur height, but I was at KTM when he was on 60s, and all I heard about was wait till Zach Osborne turns pro. Like that was we were looking at him. So he does. He washes out. Yamaha yeah, Troy KTM doesn't work out. He has to go to Europe. He comes back. He and he's becomes a much better rider than anybody ever forecasted. Now Damon, you uh, came in with a lot of success. Uh, won a championship your first year. Um, won Supercrosses as a 
17-year-old, 18-year-old. And then, you know, you kind of retired early and came back after a year and a half out. He comes back from Europe. It's not the same as retired and everything else, but Zach, I think you have a more appreciation for what you're doing now because of those stories in Europe, having to go to Europe. No one wanted to hire you. And Damon, I think, you correct me if I'm wrong, that 97 season uh, on a Honda, you enjoyed it a lot more than you ever did before. Oh, yeah. yeah so it's similar I was kind of going to ask him about that. Like, right. you know, I feel like my five years in Europe, I was never really like expected to be world champion like there was you know like oh yeah he could be whatever so I feel like that pressure of not having to to go and be expected to win every weekend and and all that kind of revived me a little bit and I was going to ask you like if you felt like the the Manchester Honda less corporate less pressure deal kind of helped you with with racing and and fun and that kind of thing for sure no no for sure it did and um, you know it was pretty cool because um, when my deal went sour with Yamaha, I was super mad for probably about 30 or 45 minutes, and my first phone call was to Bob Hanna, and I kind of told him what the rundown was, and and I think he goes, well, what, you know, what, what do you think you're going to do? And I said, well, I think when I get off the phone, I'm going to call Jim Hill, and uh, he goes, I think that's a good phone call, and so we chatted about it a little bit anyway, so I did. I got off the phone and called Jim, and we started putting this thing together, and I was a part of something that I never had been a part of before, trying to put together a team and even putting together numbers, and, and I told Jim, I I said, you know, I want to see this be really successful. I said, this first year, I don't even care if I make any money. I said, I, I'm, I'm willing to take the risk and, and go racing and let's have fun. And uh, he, you know, he came to more races that year than he probably ever had came to. And he told me, at, I don't know, probably one of the first few Supercross, he goes, you know, he goes, I don't even really care how we do. He goes, this is so much fun to be here and be able to walk up and see this rig that we just happened overnight. And uh, it was, it was a lot of fun and it was cool to see guys smile and and um, not not that you know my last year at Yamaha '96, it, it, not that it wasn't fun. Um, it had changed a lot. You know, I had went away and I came back, and things had changed. And um, you know, it was kind of a bummer the the way I had to go away. But it was it was a whole new meaning of racing and kind of going back to the grassroots. I mean, there was several nationals that uh, you know after we had press day, I was out by the truck cooking chicken for the guys yeah, on the grill. That's and- exactly. <laughs> the same my, my team in Europe was very like a, a tight knit group of six dudes we you know we slept in the truck together at the races we you know went go-karting together you know had some beers together whatnot. Well, racing mean, in Europe is hard anyways it's like when guys like when Villapoto win I was like you know the public doesn't understand and you treated it different it sounds like but to me I had opportunities to go over there and I did go over there and ride a few nationals and different things but it was just hard because you weren't surrounded by your normal people, you're in a different country. Everything was totally different. So I, the guys that have went over there that have been successful, you know, during my career, and then you going and being gone that long, and I didn't realize that at that time. I was kind of out of the loop a little bit, but uh, it's not easy. No, know? it's not easy. But yeah, I mean, I, the main thing was like, like Steve said, it was kind of strange to me when I was listening to the podcast. I listened to it again on Monday just to kind of refresh my memory and try to ask some different stuff. But it was it was strange to me how it was. Uh, eerily reminiscent in the beginning, but super opposite towards the end. But your your time at Manchester, I just kind of to your but, deal, you mean? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah bo- both yeah. our right, careers right, were like completely right. yeah. flip flopped. You're 28 yeah. and winning now. Yeah. Damon was done. 28. Like, yeah. yeah, by right. God, 
God, yeah, I was 90. I don't even want to think about how old I was. Like 97 or whatever. But, but no, those, you know, are, there's funny, you remember parts and parts of your career, but 97 is one of those years yeah. that, you know, just really sticks. Something also, we talked about the era of racing, the rivalry, and, you know, and, and he rides with Jason Anderson and Marvin Muskan, and they had a big rivalry this year where they, t- Jason took Marvin out and they're riding during the week. And can you imagine, Damon, you and Six Time <laughs> lining up on a Tuesday after, like, one of those high point battles or whatever? Well, me and Jeff could have. Maybe. That's we, true. We, you guys did have me and, me and Jeff could have, but, but none of the other guys. Right, no. Right, yeah, right. none of the other guys. Yeah. I, I can't even. And, and maybe they've built that type of friendship that they, yep. can, they can do that. I mean, it's like you see fighters, you know, UFC fighters that go in and battle the way they battle, and then they train together and, and they're friends, which just, to me, yeah. in my time, that was just not something that I wanted to yeah. do, you know? Um, uh, but Something else. Like, so Zach uh, had a little bit of rough riding last year in Vegas to take the title over Joey Savacci. It was an incredible race. I didn't think it was rough riding. A lot of hurt feelings, Damon. You would have absolutely laughed at Roy if he said anything <laughs> about that pass. But here's the but, so going Oh, I this, saw it. Yeah. I saw it for so sure. So going into this year, AMA tells Zach, hey, we're watching you. Like, be careful. And he gets into it with Forkner, and Forkner gets into it with him. Uh, Austin Forkner off the start, cuts him over. Uh, they come in together in St. Louis. Zach hits uh, Forkner at the very opening round of the opening lap. Opening lap? First lap of the first First lap event. of the first main event. So so he's got the eyes on him, and, and you're probably thinking a lot of Forkner, right? And he's thinking of you. Yeah. Same as you, you know, chicken or anything else. How do you focus on that, Damon, when you, you maybe don't have, I don't want to say rage is the right word, but you got to watch yourself because Roy and AMA is watching you, and you want to maintain your aggression. And as Zach's For me, it was a tough situation yeah. because I felt like I was like, it was like open season on me. You know, I, even if I was defending myself, I was still in trouble. In trouble. And yeah. I was already in trouble, so just don't do any Retaliation. You know, my only option was to hold shot and win or like let them mess up and, and pass them. That was the only way that I could race, and it was so frustrating. Did you have moments like that? Yeah, and I mean, that was big motivation for me. I mean, it was funny. I, I remember times that going out in practice and you know and everybody would always screw with everybody a little bit and I remember riders either jumping in behind me or me jumping in behind them or whatever and there was times where their mechanics would pull them off because to me that was the start of my fuel of the night was to to, to start battling to start battling early and then it just it was like I just used that to get you know to push through the weekend and so it was funny they the guys figured me out and they're like oh they want to do that and then I would laugh and try to turn it into you know something else but I I never thought about like in your situation which it's different now I mean there's been guys that have lost weekends I mean even in 97 I I got into it with um, a rider and they wanted to suspend me for two races and then find me is that when you threw the boot no 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 Uh, maybe I don't remember that I remember yelling or something but I it was at Orlando and so they wanted to suspend me for two races well back before in my day it wasn't that it was fines yeah okay great just have you ever heard have you ever heard his epic fine story Uh, Roy Jansen fined him 250 or was it 500 whatever Um, it was I don't remember I don't remember says hey here's your purse money for the night but we're taking 500 dollars back because you hit chicken and Damon this is true Damon says well I think then we might have won 4500 for okay a win yeah and and I think it was a supercross and so I 
want to think the fine was maybe half of it. Okay. It was exactly half. Sure. And obviously you've heard the story yeah. from Roy. This, he slides the envelope back, goes, keep it all because next week and I'm getting them back. <laughs> True story. And, and I don't know if you, how well you know, I know Roy. I know. But, uh, you know, he was... He was the greatest uh, story ever. Oh, he, I mean, he, I've seen him mad many times. We have a yeah. ton of respect for one another, and he's helped me in a lot of ways, right. way beyond all of that. But, but anyway, uh, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no. That was, that was, it was, story. it was true. I, I was wasn't quite in that position. <laughs> I was in more of a, okay, yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen it now where they've, in that particular incident that I had in Florida, they, uh, they ended up finding me, but they let me ride. We talked to them and begged and begged. It's like, hey, you know, it's the yeah. first year of the team. We need to be on the track. And there's no other rider that can ride the bike and blah, blah, blah. And so, anyways, but yeah, that's yeah. that would be a little hard now riding with that over your shoulder. I, I think, me personally, I probably would space it out and just go and do yeah. my normal. And but still, you got to think about. You got to be aggressive. Well, yeah, know, that. But I mean, awesome. if they throw you out of a race, that that's potentially a championship mm-hmm. right yeah, there, gone, exactly. done. So it's like, it's hard. I, I I can't even imagine having to ride, worrying about that, having a guy in front of you, knowing that there's opportunities for you, but it may be bad. Yeah. Whether whether it's non-aggressive or not, they're looking at you. You know, that that would be really hard. And I I really I understand their point of, okay, we, we want to keep it in perspective and keep it safe, but you know, it's like Roy Jansen always said, racing is inherently dangerous. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and it's a trip that it, when you see stuff like that happen on TV, you get in trouble for it, you get fined for it, and there's all this, but, but then what do they do? They advertise and fire out of it. Yeah. You know, it's well, like... <laughs> well, Weston and I were talking about it today, like, you know, the people who hate on it and that kind of stuff, if you put them in said situation for said amount of money, they're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, the, the it's Marvin Muskan move on Eli Tomac was met with a lot of booze and hatred by Marv. And, I mean, it was dirty, but it's the last corner for a 450 Supercross win. And, you know, there was an opening there. $150,000. Yes. Yeah. Put I mean, them in that is what you're saying. Yeah, right? no, I don't, they don't ever do that. I mean, you guys know how people are. They no. they don't know the moment, and you get, everybody wants to throw their two cents in. And, you know, again, the things have changed in my time. We didn't have that, right? I mean, we waited seven or eight days for for cycle news. Yeah. You know, you yeah. didn't have all of I remember calling 1-900-PRO-RACE when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to see what was yeah. going on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, cool, man. Let's uh, let's kind of wrap this thing up. The Fly Racing Race Rex podcast presented by Alpine Stars and Maxis. Anything else for you, Zacho, for Dana? No, I mean, okay. uh, one thing, like, how did the Gas Gas thing come together, come about? Well, I, I wanted to do I wanted to do some more riding, and um, I talked to, you know, I, I talked to the guys at Yamaha a little bit and told them kind of what I was thinking, and and then when I talked to Gas Gas, they were very interested, and it's a, it's a it's a small deal, and they're a small company, but I, that's what I enjoy about it. They're small. I don't feel like at a Husqvarna KTM Yamaha, they, they don't need, I don't feel like they need somebody like me. It's kind of a bummer because I get a lot of fans that go, well, you belong on a Yamaha. Well, I do, but I enjoy this. It's a small company, and I think I can see growth over the next 10 years, and that's that's what makes it fun. That's and two, when it's sitting there, people are, it, it, yeah. it makes, com- it makes conversation. They, yeah, it makes conversation for me, and people come up and talk and yeah. want to ask questions, and that's... And uh, last one for me, again, talking about your sort of ambassador role, you're back in the sport more than you know, you've been in a long time. Yeah. You were too much into the monster trucks for my liking, <laughs> but that's okay. You're back where you belong. Uh, the 
WBS guys and the fly reps that I talk to, they're a big part of everything we do on the show. They love having you around. They love being back with you. The dealers, you know, they like talking to you. Do you like being back? Do you, you're, you're traveling? I mean, how is this? The, the traveling is, is good. You yeah. know, I mean, it's what I've done for so long, so it's hard to get that out. But, no, I do enjoy it. I, I love going and telling stories, talking a little bit about product, you know, traveling with the reps, riding with the reps. And, um, you know, it's like I went to Pennsylvania, and I spent two days with the rep riding. We rode trials, rode adventure, and then did two days of moto. And, and it was a big break for him away from him making money. But yeah. my whole thing is is when he goes back working, I hope he has something to talk about and it yeah. help makes his job easier. So, no, I, I do enjoy it. And the cool thing is I do so many different things. I yeah. can be at a UTV race this weekend, Supercross next weekend, and then I can be yeah. doing a ride day. So, so you're enjoying it. I, I do yeah. enjoy it. Yep. Yeah. And, and the role with Gas Gas is I do a couple of events with them a year, and I'm always riding the bike, and I have Charles bikes. And so uh, I enjoy it a lot. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Zach. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you, you man. Thanks for Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as... The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Sorbet is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart, there's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and right. and he's got the thing. He's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jump farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days. They're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride and you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. 
Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months and the years go.